right, guys, welcome back. I'm joined once again by David Morgan. David, it's an absolute pleasure to have you back on the show. Thanks so much for making the time. Well, Jay, thanks for having me. And let me just shout out to everybody that you're doing one fine job. Uh, as far as what you're doing on your newsletter, I've read almost all of them and you really have uh, a good grasp of reality. So thank you for uh, taking the time to write that and send it out. Ah, I appreciate that. That's like, honestly, my favorite part of the week is, is drafting that letter. Um, it means the world. I really, I really appreciate that. I say things in the newsletter that I can't say on YouTube uh, sometimes because uh, we get demonetized these days. It happens fast with little or no warning. It's a tricky world we're in here, but anyhow um okay first place i wanted to start today actually was uh remember the silver squeeze that occurred about 18 months ago and there was this retail investor rush to buy physical silver with the intention of decoupling it from the paper market and proving the manipulation in the space do you think david that that proved anything do you think it maybe proved that retail doesn't have the power to prove that through um, buying in the physical market? Do you think it shone a light on the manipulation in the sector? Like when you think about that event, does it strike you as an important and significant thing that occurred in the silver market? Yes, it was an important and significant thing that occurred. And uh, the retail got very close to exposing the way the market's based on derivatives rather than the physical metal. And the reason I could say that with assurance is Ronan Manley did probably the best job of anyone looking at what had happened during that time frame, which was mainly that both the SILV, the SLV, I believe, and the SIVR, two of the top um, <clears throat> paper chases for silver. In other words, the SLV is a stock certificate. Yes, it's backed by physical silver, but we don't know how much has been rehypothecated or whatever. Basically, these two very strong ETFs changed their perspectives. And in one of them, to the best of my recollection, basically outlined that they were concerned that there might not be enough uh, physical silver to maintain um, what was going on at that time. So it was one of those places that will be looked back upon, probably examined under a microscope and say, you know what, these Wall Street silver people actually pushed the two ETFs to not only change their perspectives, but actually admit at least one of them in writing, the reason they changed their perspectives was the physical market. So that kind of went away. It wasn't much longer after that. I think it's Rostam Benham, the CFTC acting head or head at the time, talked about tamping down the silver market. I mean, the commodities markets are supposed to be an open outcry, free exchange market determines the price. Of course, the open outcry has gone away, basically. I mean, it's all electronic now. We all know that. A lot of it's based on algorithms trading against each other. A lot of what's gone on in the market has been based on whose computer can beat whose, and the bank's computer seems superior to the trading funds. But regardless of all that, why would uh, he come out and say they had to tamp it down? That is like kind of a clue. That's all it is. You know, there's nothing that we can do objectively and say, well, tamp down means you had to take it down a dollar, had to be within this time frame or any of that stuff. All we can do is conclude that it was an indication that the CFTC itself is concerned about the price of silver, which of course raises several more questions. Mm. When you, can I ask you, you know, if you were to speculate 
10 years into the future, 10 years, yeah. How will people look back on the work that you've done, the work on, uh, you know, GATA has done, Ed and, and Chris Powell and, and Bill Murphy, um, people like Peter Grandich, right, who have been shining a light on the manipulation in the sector. If you were to forecast 10 years down the road, how will people look at the work that you guys have done in terms of shining that light? How do you, how do you think that'll be perceived? It's a tough question because obviously it's a crystal ball question, which I don't mind answering and I will. I would say that uh, it will be a select group of individuals that will see the reality of it. I wouldn't expect to see the majority wake up to it. I mean, the amount of people that are in the physical metals market is less than 1% of the population. Right. Although central bank wise, <laughs> many central banks hold gold as an asset class and now a tier one asset. Silver has been removed from the banking system as a monetary asset. The banks that hold silver for financial machinations are bullion banks, but not any commercial bank, or, and they don't consider it to be money, only a commodity. I think there will be some people that will pick up. That's one of the reasons I wrote the uh, Silver Manifesto with Chris Marchese, is to outline to the best of our ability, the big, big picture on silver, meaning the history of it. And then the couple of chapters on fractional reserve lending in the bullion industry. We did a chapter on manipulation and using the Sharps formula. It is not a random walk. And Adrian Douglas of GATA basically is the one that brought that to my attention. In my opinion, Adrian was one of the stars of GATA way back when. He's long deceased, but he came from an oil industry background, a pretty good math guy. And uh, then we, we started talking about the Sharps ratio. I applied it to, to silver. Uh, he was looking at oil and gold and silver. He was looking at everything. <clears throat> so there's that. I know it's too, it's too much of a hassle to go into what's the Sharp ratio and all that stuff. You look it up on Google, you can buy the book or you can ignore it. It doesn't really matter to me. <clears throat> But the point is that, yes, there will be some people that will wake up and say, ah, now there is a possibility, Jay, that as things crumble and we go into this reset and there's a currency collapse or the dollar fails like all fiat, there may be, you know, some ones that pick up the torch and say, here's why. Look at what Gata said. Look at what Dimitri Speck said. Look at what, uh, you know, Gata and all of them. I mean, there's so many. I mean, half this bookshelf back here is based on like the manipulation of gold over the centuries. You know, it's not been a free market for a very long time, although it has at certain times, but overall it hasn't. And any time it seems to break away, like it did in late 79, early 1980, then it needed to be tamped down. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Volcker raised interest rates. A long answer, but a very important question because the problem is if the light was shown on and it was pervasive and everybody learned about monetary manipulation, and it's not just silver and gold, it's basically interest rates more than anything and how energy plays into the petrodollar and why the dollar stays strong when there wasn't any backing. It's basically backed by force, government, and by oil. If all that came to light, then maybe we wouldn't continue to make the same mistake over and over again. So it'd be my wish that everybody got a monetary education somewhere in the system or outside of the mm -hmm. system, everyone learned it. But 
I doubt that will be the case. Now, do you think as the industrial demand continues to pick up and we're seeing the uh, demand, from, for example, solar panels as a standalone use case uh, exponentially increase, right? And this is going to trickle through the battery storage uh, sector. But as the industrial demand for silver continues to grow, will that take away from the historic monetary the historic monetary demand? Do you think that we're going to continue to move away. I mean, you mentioned silver is not used in the banking system anymore. It was, though, for a very long time and by some of the world's biggest economies. But do you think as the industrial use case continues to strengthen that we'll move further and further away from silver as a monetary metal and strictly as an industrial one? Or what are your thoughts there? Yes, I think that's the trend. So the trend has been that it's both monetary metal and an industrial metal. But over the last you know, 40, 50 years I've been in this market, the tendency of more and more people is that it's just an industrial metal. And I think that trend will continue. The ability to use it as money is certainly there, especially in a cryptocurrency space where you can back a crypto with silver and use it for you know monetary purposes. So that's a that's something to consider. But overall, I think the push is, but the more so two things. Industrial demand at the present rate, and of course, it's a linear projection, more or less, would suggest that we'd be out of silver by 2030. And out of silver doesn't mean totally out. What it means is that there will be such a um, delta between the amount of silver produced through recycling and mining versus the industrial demand on total mm. that they won't meet. Now, that's a projection. So we don't know that. So let's say that's not the case, but let's say it increases from 55% of the market over the next eight years to 75% of the market. You still have silverware, which will probably still take place. You still have silver jewelry, which will probably still take place. So it's at the margin. It's the last bid at the auction that makes the market. And that's where stocks find their final price during the day or a commodity or anything. So there doesn't have to be very much monetary demand for it to take off because if there's more monetary demand than there is metal, then somebody's got to give it up for that higher price. And that's why it doesn't, it matters somewhat what the monetary demand is, but not as much as people think. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Now, if you were to think about uh, incoming demand drivers, right? Uh, what strikes you as significant? Would you anticipate Maybe uh, institutional investors will begin to uh, pay more or, I guess, uh, sink their teeth into the, the industrial demand and start allocating cash that way. Do you think retail might lead the charge for the same reasons? You know, are there any incoming demand drivers that strike you as the most likely and most consequential? Well, it's going to be a synergy like never be held before because industry and most cases it's price inelastic. In other words, you need so little silver to produce a refrigerator or a flat screen TV or a computer keyboard, but you can't make those items without silver. So they're price inelastic, meaning that silver could be 2000 an ounce and you still have to buy that silver else you're out of the computer uh, mm. keyboard business or you're out of the refrigerator business. So as the supply gets tighter and tighter, industry will be forced to buy it, not on a just in time inventory basis, but on a how much do we need for the next six months basis. And once the industrial side starts to take possession of it and warehouse it because they're 
don't want to run out of business, that will accelerate through other industries. So example, you know, Tesla, my open letter to Elon Musk, or some of these other people have done similar things are screaming that, you know, silver is vitally important, strategic, essential, irreplaceable, all these items which are true. And you better wake up because there isn't as much silver around as the price would indicate. The other thing on the demand side for investment is uh, institutional, as you said, and retail. Those will combine. There will be some smaller, probably hedge funds, maybe some large ones, but smaller. And I'll digress for a second. But there will be institutional. You know, there's already been very, very few. I have a teacher's fund that's looked at the silver market and bought. Um, and most of them buy through the ETFs like the SLV, which is the, the largest. But there's still demand there. And you'll see more demand from some institutions. And of course, retail, once it takes off at a certain level, probably about 30, 33, you'll see more and more retail demand because everybody will look at what the price fiat-wise is in their local currency. I mean, if you're looking at gold or silver in some of these other countries, it doesn't look so bad. But if you look at it in terms of the US dollar, it looks horrible. So it depends on you know, how you're measuring so there'll be a synergy of institutions, retail, and industry all at the same time with a pie that's shrinking, especially with what's going on with the energy situation. So it might be where smelting capacity has been decreased as taking place. So you don't have as much refining. Labor prices go sky high because no one knows what a dollar is going to be worth tomorrow. So you'll have a larger disruption, I think, than you saw during the COVID uh, situation throughout not only mining, but other sectors of the economy. But as Jay, you've heard me say a hundred times, you know, if you can't grow it, you've got to mine it. Uh -huh. And I want to go digress just a moment. I haven't looked at the study yet, but I, you know, I'm thirsty for information always. Gentlemen, it seemed pretty well grounded, talked about a study done by, I forget whom, that if you took all of the available resources out of Mother Earth, you could go EV for like, half a generation. Now I have to find the study. I want to verify that. But I do know that if anyone wants to go EV all the way, if people are upset about mining now, they're going to be really upset going into the future because the yeah, amount yeah. of earth that has to be dug up to get enough cobalt and lithium and some of these battery metals to keep this green energy. And I say that in quotes. I'm for green energy. It's just that this isn't it. Uh, I've got another thing coming. So I wanted to get that into the interview, Jay. Yeah, okay, I can dive in so deep on that one, the not in my backyard argument, right? We want all the benefits of the uh, resources that exist beneath the core, but God forbid we should have to uh, acknowledge how they're extracted. Um, you know, similar debate going on in some uh, U.S. states, I noticed. I think it was um, Governor Abbott in Texas called out, essentially, uh, was it New York State saying, you know, New York's got a very, uh, as a whole, right? I'm, I'm generalizing massively, so please don't skewer me, <laughs> anybody watching this. But, you know, you could say that the sentiment towards immigration policy is far more lenient in New York than it is in Texas. It's easy for New York to be immigration lenient because there's no border, right? Whereas Texas lives on the borderlands. And so... Uh, Governor Abbott was saying, yeah, no worries, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, relax a little bit as long as we can ship a lot of these uh, 
new land, newly landed Americans up to New York. Of course, you know, that didn't fly. So it kind of shines a light on the hypocrisy, which is not dissimilar to saying like, I want the tech, but not in my backyard. Like I want, I want the benefit, but please don't, you know, anyways. Okay. So let me ask you a question. How do you balance this? You and I live in different countries, but I think we share a similar distrust and lack of confidence in our federal leadership. Right. And I feel more uncertain and insecure in uh, my country than I've ever felt before. I've always enjoyed sort of the bland, boring nature of Canadian politics. Okay. And I'm a little concerned that we've lost that. We're becoming very polarized and unpredictable. Uh, now, I try to balance myself in that I want to have uh, a plan B, like an opt-out plan, right? And for me, that looks like a few things. It looks like physical metal. It looks like a, a bit of storage, like, you know, prepping to a degree, right? Within reason, right. I would like to right. say. Simultaneously, I'm an optimist and I'll bet all day long on human ingenuity and I want to take part in my community, you know, and, and continue to build. I've got a young family and I, I want to hope for the best and plan for the best, right? How do you balance that? How do you balance like betting all day long on human ingenuity and progress and being an optimist with your just in case plan without going too far off to one end or the other? Do you know what I mean? I do. I think you summed it up beautifully. And you know, I don't really have a lot to add because you need to prepare for the worst and plan for the best. You know, I mean, you want to be prepared in any case. I mean, even let's say the economy is booming. There was a sound monetary system, full employment. I mean, we were just so abundant that it just it was crazy. Now, you could even go into that scenario. It still doesn't mean earthquakes don't happen or floods or, you know, hurricanes or that type of thing. So there's always that part of reality that you need to be prepared for, at least mentally, and hopefully, uh, you know, with, with the necessary items that you might need, and that's such an event. But under the current conditions, obviously, we're moving more and more toward this uncertainty. And because of that, you have to rebalance. And it's all about balance, as you said. You want to be in a place where you have enough stuff that in the worst case scenario, you're going to be okay without dwelling on so that goes to the other side of remaining optimistic, looking at, you know, the new America section of Investors Business Daily and seeing what kind of innovations are there in the future and where technology has helped us and where it's hurt us and why this is, you know, on, you know, the next trend or whatever. So, you know, as I agree, there's a lot of ingenuity and really what's not talked about much is the Great Depression. I mean, as bad as that was on the economy, there were a lot of innovators during it because the old adage that necessity is the mother of invention holds mm. true. So people would realize, oh, there's a problem here. Fix it. This is the fix. It works. It's proven in the marketplace. And they made, you know, they became rich, some of them. So there's that aspect as well. I think that uh, you know, I've been in this sector for so long, it's always been kind of the fringe. You know, doom and gloomers. I remember one of my early trips to Canada, and one of your main brokers there, I won't name him, good guy. And he got kind of heated in, you know, after the event and saying, oh, you guys have been saying that, you know, since the 70s and on and on. And I didn't back down, but I did get confrontational. You know, if you're an adult, you can have discussed both sides. And I said, well, what's your perception of, uh, you know, the, the next Great Depression? His perception was much different than mine. You know, mine was that most of the uh, wealth producing producers still exist. All the land, all the schools, all the highways, all the buses, all the ships are still there. So nothing physically in the economy really changes. All that stuff is there. 
It's just how does it, how is it owned? And the answer is, in most cases, in an over-leveraged system, those that are over-leveraged lose that asset. Mm. And the market reprices it to what the market wants it to be. And then there's a new ownership, and the new ownership basically takes over uh, and kind of restarts. Now, that's past history. With what's going on in the future, Jay, I'm less certain because of you know, the kind of nonsense that the World Economic Forum is, you know, touting with, uh, you know, you'll own nothing, be happy, you'll never own even your clothes, you'll have to rent your cookware, you'll never own a car, you'll just use the utility of a car on a self-driving mechanism and all the stuff that they have as their plan. I don't buy into it, not only on a philosophical level, but on a practical level. Again, you know, going back to the EVs, I mean, if they want all EVs, they want to basically destroy the planet. It's, it's so hypocritical. They, they fly around in their private jets, tell us to watch our carbon footprint, say we should all drive EVs, not knowing that it can destroy the planet that's trying to save. I mean, the whole thing is just mind boggling. Yes, it is. It is. And the, the top down leadership approach from what is supposed to be a democratic process. Like as an example, I was driving to work today. I got a push notification on my phone and I haven't verified if this is true or not. So if it turns out that it's not, you know, but it said, uh, what is it? Canada is uh, recognizing a national holiday in recognition. Canada announces a national holiday to mark Queen Elizabeth's death. That's what the news headline on my phone says. Now, I'm not saying that's like I'm for it or against it. Either one, I don't care. But where was the consultation process? Like, do we not have any say, right? <laughs> Like when was the 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 discourse? Like I missed it, right? It just yeah. we just learned about this today, and there was no discussion, right? That, that you know, and and that's that's sort of been the story up here for about eighteen months at least now, and and you know, but you become apathetic towards it because it becomes normal, so you accept it as this is the way life is. But you know, we do have the power to to force change. I hope I don't know. We'll see. But anyways. Uh, I had a new staff member join my team about six months ago, and I love it when this happens. Um, she's been super uh, uh, loving her content, um, consuming what we produce. And yesterday she sent me a note on Slack and said, just said, should I be buying silver? And I thought, oh, what a great question. And, you know, my first question is, is why, right? Like, what's your what's your intention here? Because that'll maybe determine what I would recommend you do. And so uh, she's probably in her mid twenties, uh, great, smart head on her shoulders, looking to start building some assets and some wealth for the future. And for someone like that, David, who would come to you and say, should I start buying silver? How would you begin to construct a portfolio? Say you're starting from zero. So you got ETFs, equities, physical, all that stuff. You know, how would you begin to build the portfolio? She'll watch this. So she'll want to know how, what would you sure. recommend? Well, the best way is to dollar cost average. I mean, I've been a proponent of that forever. You dollar cost average in a bull market and you'll do fine. So what happens when you dollar cost average is when the price is down, let's say you're putting in $100 a month or $200 a month, just any amount. <clears throat> so you put in $200 a, a month and you know when silver's at 20, you're buying 10. But when silver's at 40, you're buying five units. And so when it's high, you're buying less. And when it's low, you're buying more. I mean, that just is com that makes common sense. But silver, particularly from my experience, a lot of people chase the market. You know, there'll mm. be more silver again, bought above 30 than below 30. Although that could be wrong. And I hope I am. I'm, 
don't know if I hope I am because when all everyone rushes in at 30 and all the way up, it's going to push the market higher and higher. But now dollar cost average, I'd say at that age, I'd shoot for like maybe 5% of your savings or so, maybe 10. And once you have a solid base of silver, then relax. You know, you don't have to buy anymore. Now you could take a long-term view and say, I'm just going to buy it as a legacy investment, as we already talked about, Jay, if you're looking out to 2030, and for someone 20 years old, that's not, you know, he's still going to be quite young. You might go ahead and continue with a 10-year plan, let's say, and that mm. could be, and I think it will be, a legacy investment. In other words, silver is the most undervalued commodity on the planet, and where will it be 10 years from now? And the chances are it should be at least at equilibrium, if not over overvalued. So, that's something to consider, but a steady eddy approach, probably the best. People love to try and buy the bottoms, they go all in, they buy too much, they buy the wrong kind, they buy it from the wrong dealer, and then they're really upset with the silver market. And then they look at someone like me, or most of them, a lot of people look at someone like me and say, oh, it's you know, my fault. I'm not the one that ever said, buy the wrong, you know, time it, buy it all. Yeah. Buy too much and buy the wrong kind. You know, if you look at my 10 rules of silver investing, I wrote that for the public to try to keep everybody uh, into a mode of uh, being happy about their silver investments. And uh, if you're looking at dollar cost averaging is like rule number three or four, I believe. It's like the best approach to most things, I feel. And even to touch back in our conversation about, you know, how to manage your desire, maybe to prep for that worst case scenario. The way I police myself is like a kind of dollar cost average into the rice game. Like I don't, I didn't go out and buy 30 pounds of rice, but every once in a while, like I'll, you know, maybe once a week, I'll bring something home that goes into our, whatever, call your earthquake storage, whatever, your dry storage, right? And right. In, in that way, I don't get completely wrapped up in it, but I just have confidence that we're, you know, we're preparing for whatever it could be, right? Just power outage that lasts a month. Who knows what, right? Well, look, I mean, I'm sorry if I interrupt, but. No. You know, let's say everything I'm wrong, we just muddle along. I gave a speech on this at the Silver Summit and talked about Harry Brown. And in the last days, I got to enjoy you know, one on ones with him. And he talked about muddling along and things that just keep going, even though the financial system is so distorted, it just muddles along. And so it muddles along 10 years from now or five. You know, the worst case scenario is you give it to the food bank. I mean, there's a very low risk when you buy extra food. There really is. And it, there's nothing out of the outcome other than good the way I see it. You know, you can eat it if you need to and give it away to your neighbors if they need it. You can give it to the food bank if it really becomes unnecessary. Or if that day comes, earthquake, storm, or a shutdown of grocery stores or banking closure or collapse or an EMP in some areas or more likely, let me say this one, Brownouts or blackouts, I believe those are coming in North America, Jay. So mm -hmm. if you've got one of these bags of dried food, some of them are better than others in my view. And all you got to do is boil water and stir it for 10 minutes and you got a pretty good meal. You know, you'd be very happy you had that in a brownout or a blackout situation. 100%. And, and you're right. I, I agree with you. I think they're coming. And, uh, you know, I have guests on the show from all corners of the world. I had uh, Ronnie uh, Stoferle on yeah. You know, recently, and he's in Austria, and his government right now is recommending people start experimenting with cold showers, right? And uh, 
you know, great health benefits there, but a funny thing to hear from your, from your governing uh, governance, that um, this is something you might want to get used to, right. Or maybe help us out, take one for the team. Right. And I, I get it. There's a lot of geopolitical uncertainty and it's probably smart to um, recommend people start preparing for things they're not used to. Um, Cause we've had it pretty good for a pretty long time. Now I want to pivot back to um, maybe some specifics with the silver sector, because my audience is going to want to know what you're doing, what you're seeing, what you're thinking, Talk to me about sentiment at the Silver Summit. You were keynoting there. You know, it's uh, it's an industry event. So, how did people feel, and what were they what were they saying? Well, what was very interesting is I think just before or just after, uh, someone sent me an email about is it going to be a repeat of last year's, meaning that silver hit the low for the year at the Silver Summit Silver Symposium, and I think it did. And I didn't respond to that email. By the way, I just said, "Well, I'll think about it." Uh, sentiment was pretty low. I mean, everything was lined up in Silver's favor here and has been for a while. We've got backwardation. We have increasing lease rates. We have the commitment of traders showing much more favorable conditions than probably I've ever seen with the banks net long. So there's all these conditions. We also know on the physical side, uh, entities are paying like a dollar per ounce to transport silver. I mean, thinking about, you know, a $20 silver bar uh, at a dollar, that's like 5%, right? 10% would be a dollar. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. The uh, 10% would be two bucks. So it's a uh, dollar. So it's 5%. And that means that I want it that bad. You know, I will pay that transportation cost. And these are commercial bars that are moving into Europe. And then again, talking about the smelter capacity that exists, but non-functioning because the electrical costs have gone up six, seven fold in some European countries, and it's uneconomic. And the higher the inflation gets and the more it's perceived by the public, the more everything distorts because no one can price anything anymore. You don't know what the cost is going to be to smelt silver or to smelt anything, or mm. how much it's going to cost to start a lithium mine. You know, what happens if you want to start a lithium mine and um, labor prices double or the price of diesel goes, uh, you know, from the we're down here in uh, this country at about 550 per gallon. What if it goes to 1050 per gallon? How does that pencil out then for your lithium mine? So you put it on hold. So, you know, this stagflation is stagnate. You stagnate, you wait, you wait to see what the conditions are hoping they'll improve, though as they continue to deteriorate at the end of the great currency collapse, which is what we're in, is more uncertainty, not, not less. So maybe you decide you're not going to be a miner anymore because even you had that great property and it penciled out in you know 2022 in late October, but by the time you really start to you know dig in deeper as a metaphor, and discover, you know, for this PEA, it's going to cost you so much and labor's doubled and it looks like that nation is good, not exporting what they used to. I mean, there's so many factors, Jay, as you well know, we're in a complex system. So there's so many points of failure or concern that could take place. And so it stagnates. People just sit there. And so you have less of everything, which is the physical economy, which mm. means trying to make up for less stuff per person, per capita, and you got to make up for it by making or printing more money. I mean, you can't print energy. Everything depends on mm. 
on the energy markets. And right now I've gone from what, uh, over a hundred to, I think it's 80 something. I don't follow it daily like I do the metals, but it's backed off, but it's again at the margin. You start to move up with more production in anything. I mean, it, you know, agriculture, which we need. I mean, all along. So I don't want to join on too much, Jay, but the problem is uncertainty. And the reaction is I'm going to sit and wait. And the more you wait, you're not doing anything. And the less you do, the more the government makes up for it by printing stuff that's I call funny money, trying to make up for it. At some point, the consciousness shifts. It's like, I don't trust this funny money anymore. I'm going to get something real for it. I'm going to buy food. I'm going to buy another car. I'm going to pay off my house. I'm going to buy silver. There's a lot of places you could go. I'm going to start a lumber yard because, you know, I think lumber is going to be needed. And I, I can buy this for today. And I think six months from now, price of lumber will be up 30%. And I've got to, mm. you know, I'm staying even with inflation or whatever. Are you concerned about the performance of the miners, David, with all the inflation risks that you just discussed? And does that impact how you're allocating capital or have you adjusted your portfolio as a consequence? I'm looking into it, Jay. You know, I'm a pretty deep thinker. You've known me for years. I've met a guy at the um, Silver Symposium, and I want to get further into the water part of mining. Water's critical for mining. Mm. And we're having a great problem in the uh, southwest of the United States. I mean, the most of the easiest mining and best mining in this country is in Nevada. Mm. So I haven't explored that enough, but certainly it's on my radar right now. And I'm probably going to do an interview for my members with this guy or um, an interview and a white paper or maybe just a white paper. It kind of depends on him, how he wants to proceed. But I want to dig deep on what the impact will be. And depending on that study, on my own thinking about it, mm. maybe bounce it off a couple you know, great minds, not that mine is, and then make a determination. And based on that study, Certainly, I would adjust if I needed to. You bet you, Jay. I mean, world changes, and you've got to be on top. And one thing about being a thought leader, and you can, you know, shoot holes at me in the comments. I don't care. I've been ahead of the curve on a lot of things. Cellular phones is one of them, for example. I mean, we were early, early, early in the cellular phone market before anybody even thought about it. But we're got, coming back to today. I am concerned in many areas. Water's not the only one, but that's the most prevalent for a lot of positions that we hold. And by the way, everyone, Morgan Report looks at all the mineral assets, not just silver. That's my favorite, it's my specialty, but we've been in uranium, we have uranium picks we really like, we've done lithium in the past. Copper, I'm somewhat bullish on, uh, gold, of course. Uh, we were first in rare earth elements, even though James Dines claimed to be the original rare earth bug, we were there before Jim. So anyway, I just wanna make people aware of that because a lot of people think we're silver only and we've never been silver only but again it's my passion love that um well on that note i want to point people to where they can find more of your work david where should we send them i think the best place really is my twitter which is at silver guru 22 because there's only two people besides myself that are allowed into that account and the reason these two other people are is i trust them so highly but a lot of that comes straight from me. And this is articles that I usually agree with, some I disagree with, but I put mm. them on my feed because I want to go back to them and say, you know, after this interview with Jay, this analyst put this out and he's out of his mind, you know, saying that there's more silver on earth than we'll ever need or whatever. You know, I was mm. that up. But so sometimes just because I post it doesn't mean I'm in concert with it. 
But again, for my own edification, sometimes I will post these things because I want to go back and say, this is you know preposterous. Most of the time what I post, let's say 80% of the time, it's because it's something that hopefully objectively supports the argument that we're in trying times. You have to be more self-reliant, self-responsibility. Other than that, just go to the main website, themorganreport.com, get on our free email list. We've been shadow banned for years. But if anything happens when I'm taken off of YouTube and I'm on other channels, I'm on Odyssey and my webmaster's put me on several. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're there. But uh, the best safest is to be on our email list. Then we have direct contact and I own the server that the yeah. site's on, the main site. And that means that no one really can dink with it. So you're safe and secure with us. Um, and we do, I'd say we do advertise on the free list probably three or four times a year is all. Every okay. now and then um, I might find something with a precious metals dealer that's turned into you know, my list and they want to rent it and I'll let them do it. But uh, it's not an advertising uh, free newsletter. It's more substitute than that. Yeah, no doubt. I love it. Thank you, David. I appreciate your time. Uh, you're a very valuable force in the industry. Just want to let you know that you've been super positive in, in my development in this sector and in a handful of like, you know, people that's uh, America Tusa, for example, you know, speaks of your influence on him very early in his career, incredibly positively and, and with a lot of gratitude. So thanks for all the work you do. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for the accolades. I appreciate it. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor. Follow or subscribe to this podcast. Drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.